Welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast. I'm your host, John Barker. Got a great friend of mine today. Spent about a year or so into his new venture, Brian DeMuth. In February 2021, Brian partnered with Joel Griffin to launch Riffian Investments, a Fredericksburg, Virginia-based firm making early-stage and growth equity investments in U.S. national security markets. Brian leads the overall strategy and direction of the firm in addition to managing all aspects of the firm's investments and raising and managing venture funds. He also serves on several portfolio company boards, working closely with their founders and executive teams to accelerate growth. Prior to joining Joel to launch Riffian Investments, Brian spent four years as the CEO of Grimm, an engineering consulting firm focused on cybersecurity, and in 2020, he was recognized by DCA Live as a rising star of GovCon. Brian regularly presents at industry conferences and has previously spoken at Pennsylvania Automated Vehicle Summit, Hack the Capital, Mobile World Congress, and Automated Driving Systems Conference and Expo. Brian and I also typically have contests to see who can lose the most golf balls on the golf course when we go out together. Brian, thanks for taking the time, man. Absolutely. Great to be here, man. I, I love to be able to support however I can. You have a long history working in tech and, and cyber. What was the driving force to start getting into investments and private equity and venture capital? Uh, there's a couple of things. Kind of Joel and my mutual drive to do this was we needed something new to do that that sparked our passions, enabled the things we were most interested in. And part of that is, or a big part of that is, we were both already helping friends and acquaintances and transitioning military to, to start or grow their businesses, a lot in GovCon, but also in you know the cybersecurity market space commercially. Mm-hmm. And I was volunteering our time. We still do that, but we really, we really wanted to find a way that we could do that and scale. We could scale a lot more. Plus, we have a lot of friends that have exited their companies, their service companies within the government services market space and in the cybersecurity market space that we knew we're looking for places, alternative places to invest their money, as well as get directly involved on a part-time basis, but, but get involved and really see where their capital is going to go. What, how is that capital going to get used? Do they have relationships as investors in what I'm doing? And then I invest in, say, could be seed early stage company, or it could be a later stage government service contractor. We do both. But then they, those investors want to get involved. Most of them don't want to traditional limited partners, traditional investors, they don't get heavily involved. But the types of people that were talking to us about what to do with their capital, they do. They want to get involved. If you imagine growing your own company and selling it, what do you do next? You have some kind of payout based depending on your sale. And then you want to go forward and do something. You still have value. You probably want to travel and buy things and all that, but you have value. You want to provide it. (laughs) You have a lot of relationships. How can you take uh, your money and invest it and and then get directly involved. And so that was a big, for me personally, another part of uh, me that drives a lot of what I do is is this nature, it's the hacker nature that's in me. And I don't mean the bad hacker on the, t- the movies and TV shows, but the pure <laughs> definition of it, the old definition, I like to know how things work. So you've a bit about me. From my earliest years, I love to take things apart. Electronics, radios, vehicles, me- other mechanical things my mother's vacuum cleaner that she had just bought when I was a kid, whatever. And I want to know how it works and put it back together and make it stronger. And so I've, through my career, from a professional perspective, that driver is still there. I want to understand how these things work, dive deep into them, and then work on doing it better. So Joel and I set out out to, to create a way that we could bring not just capital, but growth advice, even all the back office services. In some case, we still partner with other back office providers as well, but we wanted to bring that expertise, not just from us, but from our friends and acquaintances and business partners that we've had in the past that can really help those companies that we're investing in. So that's where Riffian Investments came from. Awesome. And I had the opportunity to speak to another startup. They had raised about $70 million from, I guess, probably the traditional, the big companies. So this, for me, this is like having that flip side of that, that, that conversation. What is, you talked a lot about bringing in other partners. What is it that you look for if you, if you got that large network for good partners to make you know, sure the relationship's going to work? Because I imagine a lot of this is, is it's relationship-based. It is. Yeah, it definitely is. So we do have an investment thesis that goes around along with the um, investment fund that we're raising now. So we aren't just making investments out of one fund, but we do have a somewhat traditional uh, VC style fund that we're raising. 
And through that, we're doing both early stage VC style deals, venture capital style deals, and later stage private equity style deals. As you might imagine, what we're looking for in the like tactical details of those two are, are not the same as each other. But overall, we're looking for strong, dynamic leadership teams. And it's, in many cases, especially on the early stage uh, companies, we're talking about dynamic leaders that are founders, right? Um, now, they're not going to have, potent, they, they may not have everything, all the qualities and all the experience they need, but that's fine. That's where we come in. We bring that experience. We bring that um, team because we have a whole team of people that we've hired to bring into this. So we bring that team along to help help them become better at what they're doing. Exit with bigger valuations, larger valuations, and, and hopefully in larger exit windows. But the specifics are really, it's not a set, this is what we have to have. Instead, we really look at it and work with the founders or the owners or the C-level executive team, depending on the style of company we're investing in, and come up with what makes sense for all of us. And not everything makes sense, and we're okay with that. That doesn't mean we might not make recommendations and help them and introduce them to other PE and VC-style firms that are correct. But, mm -hmm. but we're looking for, I think first and foremost, to answer your question directly, dynamic individuals that really want to dive in and learn how to do how to bring their dream to fruition. And second, we're looking for either products in the case of many of the early stage companies or a services delivery set of options, suite of um, products, if you will. So think like government contracting, there are market spaces that are growing more than others, right? There are market spaces where certain customers and functional services that are being provided to those customers are more attractive to us because we know we can one, help those potential portfolio companies grow in those spaces based on our network. But we also know that we can take those capabilities and apply them to other government service spaces, other customers, as well as commercial. And so we've had experience doing commercial, GovCon commercial crossover. So there's, uh, if we can find nuggets of each of those within a portfolio company as we're, you know, just starting the relationship building, the rapport building with them, that's really what what causes us to sink our teeth in and start to look and you know, go into more due diligence and start to really talk to the founders. And we're not just looking at what's right for us, right? Because we may really like um, one of these companies early stage or later, um, we may really like it for our portfolio and what it helps us to do. But if the founders aren't going to flourish under our support, then you know we call a spade there too. It needs to be a win-win for all involved. And when I say all involved, it means that it needs to be a win-win for my investors as well. My investors need to, it needs to align with their interests, right? So we kind of, we take a, a really holistic approach to how we choose what portfolio companies we invest in. You, you dropped a lot of little nuggets there. And just for anybody <laughs> listening, unfamiliar with the in unfamiliar with the terms, I made some notes while you were doing that just to elaborate mm -hmm. on exactly what some of those terms mean, because I'll be honest with you, I'm familiar with some, but maybe not in the con sure. not in direct context or in enough detail. So you talk about VC style deals and PE style deals. What exactly what's the difference between that, that venture capital and that that private equity structure? Absolutely. Yeah, I can I can tell, I give you the context of what I mean by it. There's probably many others that have their own context. I have seen PE firms that really, they go and invest in early stage companies for a minority share. It looks more like a VC firm, a venture capital firm, but they call themselves a private equity firm. So some of these terms um, do get used somewhat interchangeably, whether they should or not. But to me, the VC style, the venture capital deals that we're talking about, we're talking about early stage. So these are usually products um, based companies or SaaS service delivery models where you productize a service delivery. And we're talking about early, early stage. So for us, we'll get involved pre-seed. So like into convertible notes, we'll get involved in priced seed rounds, meaning that it's a it's the first stage of an investment model in early stage companies where the company that is being invested in gets priced. There's a, a number of factors that go into determining the valuation as part of the investment. Before that, many companies take uh, what's called a convertible note. It's essentially a loan with very strong preferences that uh, when someone invests, whether it's a firm or an individual into a convertible note for a startup company, that capital is really hard to call back 
as a loan note, meaning if you put money into this convertible note, you are unlikely to see, you are unlikely to say, hey, I, it's ready. I, I want to take my money back instead of it converting to equity. That usually doesn't happen. It, so the convertible notes are set up so that technically it's a loan. So it's not an equity trade up front. It's technically a loan. But your has a number of terms in them that we could probably spend the, an entire hour talking about. But, but essentially, <laughs> that investment turns into equity at a later time. So as an example, one of our companies that we invested in early, they weren't pre-company, but we'll even get involved in pre-company and help you stand your company up if you have a really interesting idea that's something that we want to invest in. So we'll help you start from scratch if that's needed, which is an incubator model. And again, we're not, we, while we do have an investment thesis and we do have a specific process on how we go through things, we are looking to drive different and better results at the end. So we're willing to have a, a more open and frank discussion about how we <coughs> go into a deal. So yeah, venture capital deals for us are usually early stage through a convertible note, see a priced round or what's called um, a series A, which is the first big round that bigger style investors generally get involved in. We don't really go beyond that. Not that we wouldn't, but we don't. Um, and then the PE deals are like, for instance, outside of our fund, we have also acquired government contractor wholly it made sense to do at the time. It made sense for the investors that were involved. And we'll go and do those deals as well. Inside of our fund, we will actually invest minority stake into, say, a government services contractor supporting DHS. I'm using an example I don't have on purpose, but that is something that might be of interest to us. And so we'll invest into that, usually for a minority stake, but then we bring a whole bunch of that experience. Plus, we have an advisory board with quite a few people who have a lot of experience growing and selling, working in M&A of government contractors and, and other cyber technology companies. We even have people on our board who are known in the industry for taking government contractors public and then bringing them back private again. So we have a pretty broad network and, and quite you know, a depth of experience across that network that we can apply to the companies we invest in. This episode of the Business Samurai podcast is brought to you by Lamar Marie Gourmet Popcorn. Let's face it, we all like to snack. We all like to get up and go to the pantry and see what's in there. And what better way is when you open that door and you see a big flavored bag of your favorite popcorn sitting there. My wife and I have been fans of Lamar Marie Popcorn for many, many years. And the ownership team over there have graced us with a big discount code. Buy one, get one half off. So the next time you need a good snack, go to lamarmarie.com, enter the code Barker at checkout, and save a ton of money. And if you're looking for a suggestion, my absolute favorite is the chicken and waffles. I had the opportunity, I remember meeting somebody that I think was in that early stage you were talking about, versus you said from incubator to maybe having an MVP or minimum viable product. Where are you at with going evaluating it the idea versus somebody actually has a, a prototype at a minimum to sit there and go hey this idea in and of itself is good enough to get involved to i think i want to attach myself to this how do you evaluate those it's a there's no simple answer right because every situation is different and, and again our part of our investment thesis is that every one of these situations and how we get into them they'll be a little different and that's okay but that does mean you need to put a little bit more time into understanding it. So we understand the market spaces we're in quite well. Again, like I said before, if we don't, we won't go into a deal, not because there's something wrong with the deal. It's just not the right fit for us. And that's, that, should fit, that should be the same for founders um, and owners as well. So we'll look at, going back to your point about MVP, vice, no MVP. If there is someone that brings a, a early stage pre-seed idea to us, but they don't have a functioning prototype, much less a minimum viable product already built, we will look at it. Now, we have to do some more steps. There's some more things we have to do. In addition to evaluating the technical concept, and is it, do we believe it's possible and do our advisors and our, our board of advisors believe it's possible. We also need to go and do market validation, right? So one of the things that investors look for is that you've done your homework and that you understand what the market wants. Not that one customer or a couple customers want it, although that's helpful, but what does the market really need? Have you done your homework and figured out what the market needs? Well, often these early stage ideas, 
there's a little bit of that, but there's not enough market validation. So if, if an idea like that is brought to us, we will sometimes get involved and go be part of that market validation. And then our total, our term sheet, what the details of what we expect out of a deal might be a little bit higher if we're the ones also doing all the market validation and taking that risk on ourselves as well. If a company has an MVP, which we have one now that I think we officially kicked it off early at the beginning of this year, the term sheet closed. So we uh, we have one that's that where the founder already had an MVP. Uh, it was really, to be honest, more than an MVP. And so he also had with that market validation and so much market validation that he even had companies interested at acquiring his company once he got to a certain point, which obviously he needed our both hmm. our support and our network and our capital in order to get to that point. So we have one that's you know really interesting from that perspective. But that was a lot less work, right? Like we didn't have to do as much to validate it. And I know it'd probably be help, helpful to your right. listeners to give like a very specific step-by-step go do this thing. The problem with that is most of those that you can find out on the internet or that other firms have given aren't going to cover all the nuance. You really have to dive in and start having conversations and understanding what particular VC or PE firms want to know about. Yeah, it's something I've had with other people that have either went through some of the process. They, A lot of them have said, and I'll be on the flip side, they're looking to raise money. They said they were looking at the strength of the team, the leadership team, as much as anything else. That was one of the key things. So, so, so from your standpoint, I'm going to flip that around a little bit. Have you come across something where you're like, man, this idea is awesome. I haven't seen this before. I really would like to take this there, but man, I'm not sure that that's the group of people to do it, but I'm going to take this idea and stick this in my back pocket and see what else I can do with this somewhere else. Um, <laughs> yeah. The short answer is yes. It's their idea, right? They own it. But yes, that the short answer is yes. We've come across some like that. Um, the, uh, and, and often it, it, I can flip that a little bit because often it's not that the team isn't capable. It might just be the team isn't ready. And so we can sure. introduce them to some other folks. We can introduce them to some people, and even some of our consultants that can help them get ready, which can really shake out whether or not the team dynamics are, are well. So if you've got, you know, a couple of partners, there's all kinds of horror stories about partnerships, about business partnerships out there. And so sometimes it's easy uh, the to bulk of them fail. <laughs> I don't know that I'd say that, but yeah, a lot of them, there's a lot of horror stories. Uh, let me rephrase that. The people I know, the bulk of them fail. Yeah. No, I, yes, I understand. So yeah, you know, we, <laughs> we look at that because that could, that can hurt companies. And then something that's probably important. I don't know if you, I may be skipping ahead. You may have some questions around this, but we also look at the structure of the company, whether it's a early stage company. Now, if it's a really early stage company where it's literally not just pre-money, pre-valuation, but it's pre-company where right. we go and help stand it up, <laughs> then I don't have this particular issue, but we look at the formation types of the companies. And sometimes in the term sheets, and this is a lot of investment firms, most investment firms will get involved in this. So for those people listening that are on the entrepreneurial side and want to go talk to VCs and PEs, if you have your company set up as an LLC or a S corp, if to be direct, if you're or a single member LLC, but if it's a what's called a pass through entity, meaning that you know your profits and cash pass through to your to you, investors aren't mm-hmm. interested in that structure because it doesn't make sense for protecting investors' money. Generally, not always, but generally, investors are looking for your company to be a Delaware C-Corp, right? There's some others that are attractive too. Wyoming C-Corps have have become more popular. Nevada C-Corps for certain types of um, companies. That's really what they're looking for. And that's not a no-go when you show up to talk to an investor, whether you're an early stage or you're a government services contract. It's not a no-go. It just means that will be an additional step of the process where you will have to update the structure as part of the term sheet before those companies will move forward with you. So I think company um, structure is really important too. How are the bylaws set up? Is it standard business practice? Th- that matters to us. It can Those things can be changed, but sometimes those things are really expensive to change depending on how you set your company up. If you set your company up with 50 million shares inside of it because you thought, it would be great for, for dishing out extra options for your employees, which is a good thing to do. That might be more expensive when you need to, when you need to go and make filing changes at, in the, at the state level. Um, because they actually charge you based on how many shares you have in your company. 
So there's a number of, of things like that. Again, that's another one of those topics where we could talk about business formation and what to do and what not to do. And it all depends on it. it like everything, John, it all depends. If oh, you're yeah. looking to keep the company and it's just going to be your income generating company, yeah, pass-through entities are great. S-Corp will, will save you on taxes every time, almost every time. But it all depends on what you want to do. And those things can change later. But you have to really think through that and have be ready to hear that when you approach an investor. And that's one of the things you, you, you talk about. I, I think correct me if I'm wrong, with kind of the structure and the support team that you bring, the advisory board that you bring, is your preference then to really find those really early, super early stages to sit there and go, hold on, we want to, we don't want to have to do a lot of retooling because somebody picked the wrong corporate structure or their team's not flushed out, but we can go ahead and accelerate and, and use the incubator model, but accelerate the growth and, and go to market expansion and the networking yeah. as early in the process as possible versus a lot of retooling. If somebody comes yeah. to you really late. They're so far down the road that you got to spend tons and tons of money to fix their screw ups. Yeah, that's a part of it. It's not the main driver for why we pick the market space that we do for the early stage, but it is a factor, absolutely. Because if we can help guide that, it just saves time and money down the road. And the goal with any early stage startup is to mo be the most efficient deployment of capital that you can. Getting to really focus on those tasks, those items, those expenses, those people that are going to get you to where your goal really is the quickest without the noise that slows you down. And so that that is one year to your point that is one factor but it's not a again it's not a it's not a no-go if a company has all the wrong things but it is a factor it might change the terms of the deal a little bit in the later stage companies we're expecting to see that so like we do invest into government mm -hmm. contractors service contractors in certain market spaces of the government we expect to see probably some of them be set up properly as a c-corp in the right states that we prefer but the reality is there's a lot of LLCs and others out there and, and that's okay. We can help them to change to what they need to be to support what we're doing. So it's not a, it, again, it's not a showstopper. But on have the early stage, anyone, Sure. Have you had anybody, we always talk, you think about investments and investment companies as those ones that are relatively new. We've we've talked about having a minimum vial product or somebody that's just at the idea stage and they want to know how to get it off the ground. Have you had anybody that's come that's maybe been around for a long time, but they've just not been able to get it to off the ground the way they wanted to, but the principles and the foundation is solid. Is that something that's out there? Do people invest in those types of things? Or is this typically still a new idea type of generation area for investments? No, I think there's definitely some of that out there. I've probably seen one or two before uh, we started ripping investments that were interesting to me. I think the reality is, it, and again, I, sorry, I keep saying it, but it depends. It, it all depends on the specific. Well, everything, yeah, everything depends. Right? So, different person, different personalities, different. Such, yeah, absolutely. So, but yeah, and I'm speaking in generalities yeah. in the most part. So to answer that, yeah, there there certainly are those things out there, and and I think it goes back to the tenants that different investors look at moving forward. It's often the leadership team. So if someone's had an idea out there that they just haven't been able to launch, or have been too anxious to launch because a lot of us are get too anxious to launch something now. It's a lot of work and anxiety. Once you do it, it's often, oh, well, that was easy. Now the hard part comes. But for someone that's <laughs> sitting out there, you've been through this, but the the reality is if you have a scenario like that, someone's been out there, someone's been, you know, had this idea, just hasn't quite got it sold, hasn't moved it in the direction it needs to go or that they want it to go, I would, the advice to them would be, be open to, I'm not saying cave to whatever an investor or investment firm wants to see, but be open to hear that your idea, while great, that's why they're talking to you. Either you got a good intro and they're giving you a, a few minutes time, or you've had a couple of conversations and they're talking to you for a reason because they think it's an interesting idea. Be open to their suggestions, at least hear them out. And then go talk to a couple other firms that are similar but different in other ways and, and try to figure out what, what they have to say about it if you can get those intros. And be open to the idea that you, as the founder, as the principal investigator of your idea, be open to the idea that you might have to change a little bit or you might have to change your view of the world in order to get your idea done. Don't give up on your passion. Don't give up on your idea. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you may have to change something. You may have to work hard 
on something that is not what you would normally work hard on, right? Like it might be team dynamics. It might be your manners in terms of understanding how to talk to people and communicate and improving those. There's That goes a long way. It's often a challenge. And then again, seek advice on how to speak the language of the people you're talking to. Know your audience. Do you have situations with, or you're looking at somebody that's coming to you, they're looking for help, they're looking to get uh, something off the board, you're looking to get a return, help someone scale, where you start getting into these ideological conflicts over this is the intended growth of whatever it is and how to navigate those so it's so you're trying to bring people in that are on the advisory board they've done this before you've got somebody else going there starts being those miscommunications and trying to yeah. smooth line smooth those out to to get there how do you a bake that into any agreement repeated conflicts everybody go you know what this kind of this isn't working we've been at this for a little while or to be able to sit there and go who actually has the final say if there needs to be a shift or a pivot because of something new that emerged in the market space or something new that was just, you didn't know, because sometimes you just don't know yeah. what you don't know and something pops up. So how does how do you navigate those waters? I can tell you what we don't do. We generally don't go in, especially on the on most of the investments that we're looking to make under Rufian Investments, we're looking at minority stakes. So in theory, the founders are keeping a majority and are voting based on their majority. However, especially in the early stage deals, the later stage, it depends. We generally want a board seat or a seat at the table to help guide them and push them forward and be part of the conversation because that's what we bring. We bring all of that support. We got to be part of the conversation. With the early stage companies, we're generally looking to have not just a board seat, but have equal or close to equal voting. And the reason is, and I really like the Okay. We balanced out equal voting rights, even if we're a, a minority investor. And again, it depends on the company. It's not a it's not a hard and fast requirement, but it is up there on our list. And the reason goes back to what you just said: like, how do you work through those problems? How do you resolve those? If you have a board, you you have the founders and the employees that have been hired that are running the company, and they're the executives the board has charged with the powers to run that company. But then you have a board that's got a balanced um, vote where one individual can't just run forward and do whatever it is they feel they want to do to your point right maybe the market changes but their idea this goes back to founders need to be open i've been there you need to be open to input and feedback on what might not be viable but how your idea can pivot into something that is viable for us it's generally on the, on the early stage companies it's the way that we help resolve that is if we're 15 percent or 35 percent equity stake and again it all depends on what we're trying to accomplish, us and the, the founders. We generally still ask for equal voting rights because with those equal voting rights, it doesn't allow us to outvote the founder. It, we don't want that. We actually want a conversation. We want to force the conversation so that no one can, whether it's ill will or, or just happenstance, we don't want anyone to be able to move forward and do something without having the conversation. So we generally look for, in the early stage companies, look for those equal voting rights. And it's just a, it's a way to force the conversation. So if things do get hard, we actually haven't had any hard issues yet, but we've been doing this as Riffian Investments for you know, just over a year. So um, sure, we've done a lot in just over a year, but we've been doing it for just over a year. But I have been around other firms and seen um, and heard experiences of other firms. I think, I think that's probably the simplest answer to that in terms of what we look for. But it's also building rapport. We are at this stage where we're not going to work with people we don't want to work with. So we like to build rapport with investors, partner firms, and portfolio company firms, the potential portfolio companies before we invest so that we understand the personalities, we understand the, the business model, we understand the people. And then that tends to, that understanding tends to help in communication. It's communication 101, right? And you can read Carnegie's books about communicating with people. There's a lot of good tips. All of that applies here. Make sure that you can communicate before you go forward and, and get into a deal where you have to communicate and one, aren't in the right relationship to communicate and two, don't have the right legal framework to communicate, which is why I said board seat and then making sure that rapport is built. Well, the reason I put my risk mitigation hat on from cybersecurity going, that's a big risk when you're dealing with one, either A, your own money you're investing in it or B, you've got a whole bunch of other people's money you've decided to invest into it as well. And, and Joel and I <laughs> and have like, both. Oh, hold invested. on a second. We have both. Too. Yeah, it's, it, again, things are going really well. I'm very happy. It's been a humbling experience, 
but it is a lot of work. It's gratifying for us, but it's been... Can you talk about, I'm familiar with Catapult, I'm familiar with Rapid Ascent. Can you talk about some of the success you've already had in the, the short time you've been around with either of those two or, or one of the ones I'm not as familiar with? Those are the only two we're openly talking about right now. And we still have some others that are coming to the table. One other that's closed and is currently going through that like full stand-up uh, process with our team guiding the founder through that. So Catapult's one that was a private equity style deal that we procured from another firm um, that had bought them not long before us. We spent some time, it was a good company, a lot of past performance, been around for 21 years, I believe, government services contractor. I won't really talk about their customers, but it's all cybersecurity, defense, some and I'm gonna- not... Not I'm going to interject. Sure. I'm going to interject. I want to interject right there that Brian works on a lot of has worked on a lot of top secret uh, things that we will all get smacked if he says too much. So please continue. Yeah. So I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to go down that path. But yeah, Catapult's a government services contractor that, that has a lot of interesting work. And the company was it, it's a good company. It was a good company. The employees were great. It had shrunk from where it was. We invested time and money, obviously, to update the systems and basically get the company structured for growth in the, the market space as it sits today. I'm not even knocking the past. I'm just saying that the company wasn't ready for growth in the way the market space is, is um, oriented today. So we spent time and money getting it ready for them. And now, and we replaced the leadership team. Again, not because there was anything wrong. We actually picked up the leadership team that was at Catapult and moved them to another project of ours that was better for what we needed and then brought in some new people. And uh, and then the team actually works together. So we do we do try to get our support team on the Riffian side to, to dive in and really provide growth support as well as back office support. So Catapult's been doing really well, expanding again, and uh, is going after some exciting opportunities in the government contracting space. We monitor it as owners and provide advice and advisors to go advise that company directly. But we that's where we stay in terms of Joel and I, where we're at. Rapid Ascent, we invested really early. Um, into a convertible note. We were the first and largest investor into the original investment to that. That company has really started really started building up their their service offering, their SaaS service offering or product offering last summer in June, hiring an awesome team to really move something forward. And so now we we're to a point where they've got a series of contracts with a very large US based firm. I don't want to say too much because I don't I'm not certain whether they can talk about it yet, but I'm pretty sure some things will be coming out in the near future. They've partnered up with a couple of interesting apprenticeship programs where they're going to be providing their platform and training services directly to a much larger apprenticeship program uh, nationwide. So they're really taking off. And this is one of those where it's a good example of Rapid Ascent is a good example of where some of these companies could go when they're pre-seed or early stage companies. So we invested pre-seed into a convertible note. Right now, Rapid Ascent has already built a platform to do skills-based cyber defense training. So it's really skills-based, not certification or fundamental learning-based, but skills-based. So think the skills you have to do a certain job, you can go to one program to learn them. Like the boot camp model in the military, you go to learn how to do your MOS, your military specialty. Um, And so that's what Rapid Ascent is doing at a very high level. There's a lot more there. Certainly anyone that wants to know about them, you you can reach out to me or the the team there. You can hit them up on LinkedIn or through their website. <clears throat> but they've got a, an academy with an entire platform that, that that provides those services. And we got involved very early. We helped them with stand-up. We, we helped them with marketing and back office and all the different things that, that they needed. They're now heading towards a priced round, probably a series seed priced round. And then they'll head, they'll head to a, a full-blown venture capital style series A investment round. I'm guessing next year. We'll see how that shapes up. The leadership team there is doing a great job um, pulling together the, what the future looks like. But that company is another you know, example of, of an early stage. We, again, we have a couple other early stage companies in the pipeline, one that's going to be announced soon, but hasn't yet. So hopefully that helps. With both of those. So those are awesome stories and two totally different ways that we've been discussing this entire time of one yeah. kind of acquiring one another one at the early stages. 
I know when I was talking with Boyan with his company who does the they do passwordless authentication mm-hmm. and I'm not asking for a specific when I say this but he referred to having I said when you start getting the venture capital and money I said at some point you need to have an event with with some of these it sounds like rapid ascent going through venture capital you may look at an IPO is this a situation of acquiring other brother sister type companies to make something bigger a bigger piece or or do you go hey we got everybody in we've acquired this we've grew catapult for instance we've 10x their revenue and now we just want to spin it off is this like an any and all be of strategy as an exit or Um, do you have one way you're like no we want to make everything public we want to go ipo with everything i personally am not terribly interested in going ipo but um doing an initial public offering. Although some of these could go that way for certain, but that's not really our core investment thesis, especially when we get involved at the earlier stage, because that might take more time than our current thesis supports, because we're generally looking for three to five years. Although some of these early stage companies could go as far as eight. And so we're not we're not generally gonna look at the IPO route. We're not against it. We're just generally not what we're looking for. With Rapid Ascent, we go back to that. It's possible that, that Rapid Ascent may go the, the route of buying maybe through equity trades or other investor money buying other companies to bolt on in order to grow that exponentially faster or maybe get certain contracts in the commercial or government world that they want those are all possible right those are all possible outcomes and so i think the the best way to answer that is we use us our experience and our advisors experience to work with them and see what kinds of opportunities we could drive because i could see rapid ascent getting a bunch of bolt-on capabilities that we then integrate that and then it goes for a larger much larger sale to maybe one of the large training companies in the country could be a possible path it could be that a large i don't know a large financial firm might want to buy them because they have such a large um, swath of employees and services they provide that maybe they want to buy a company to provide services i guess what i'm getting at is it's hard to it's hard to, unless you have something built in up front, which the other one that's still in stealth mode that I talked about, it had some, it had an opportunity built in up front. So that one, we do have a path. We know where we're going to go and what we want to do with it. We know what we're going to do if the first path doesn't work. So that's all kind of mapped out. <clears throat> On these other early stage, it's hard to say because we don't know what other competitors or other overlapping capabilities are, are going to pop up in industry. On the later stage PE deals and government service contracting, those we generally know going into them before we agree to them what their likely path is right that they have they meet a need that we know a large private equity firm that does buyouts so there's farmington capital and a bunch of them out there carlisle everyone just saw the mantech deal mantech's getting acquired by carlisle and take it back private so larger firms like that we have an idea not on all of them but with many of them we stay in contact with people and we have an idea what their gaps are in the portfolio they want. So maybe we go into a later stage government contracting business in, in our investment, in part because we know that there's a swath of PE firms that want to do buyouts, that want to buy them and mash them up with someone else. And so we keep our tabs on that. Um, there's other large firms, the Raytheons and such Mantex of the world. Before Mantech got acquired, that Mantech was known to acquire a lot of companies, right? It's part of how they grew. So keeping tabs on on what's interesting to those portfolios that they have, their portfolio of services, is another way that we can help map out where the government service contracting goes. Because we can see, based on our advisors and our experience, and and we go to a lot of industry events to stay up to speed on on who's doing what, we can see a potential path. And then um, we'll often have not an exact, hey, this is what we're going to do, but this is a set of paths we believe have a high confidence of... So you can start positioning the company in a direction versus and really pushing yeah. it in and go, we want to go this way. How about new startups coming into the, how about new startups coming in there that may be starting to mimic something you're invested in? Is is there opportunities within there for you guys to come in there and go, hey, well, I don't like all this competition potentially entering the landscape. Let's see if we can suck these guys up super early. That's possible. You have, you do see that sometimes in the VC world. The, I think the short answer is no. Often that competition is actually good for our investments. It can help drive okay. forward what's happening because they're going to go and talk to a lot more. They're going to, in theory, make noise in the community, which then people who are doing their due diligence are going to find our portfolio company, like Rapid Ascent, has a couple of... 
I haven't seen anyone who does exactly what they, the way in which they're providing what they're doing. But there are some overlaps, right? There certainly are. And some of those companies might become down the road potential acquisition targets, or maybe they are more competition in the market space that really does make the pie bigger for everyone else because people start to pay attention to a new market space. And often one company can't address a whole market space anyway. So in order, so said another way, Rapid Ascent specifically is seeking to help solve in a scalable way the cyber defense job shortage. There are not job shortage, but employee shortage. There are far too low number of candidates available to fill very specific cyber defense jobs out there. And so Rapid Ascent, part of their thesis is to, to really attack that problem. There's what, I think we're up to, I can't remember what the latest spec was, but the last time I saw it, I think it's, they estimate there's a million cyber defense jobs open in the United States. And we're not even talking. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty close to that. And the worldwide (laughs) number is like over 5 million. So there's a problem there. Some like, you telling me they can't fix all that? (laughs) No, um, universities and training companies and everyone has a place and a role to play, but they're not, solving the problem. And so Rapid Ascent's coming in with a different approach on purpose to look to solve that problem. But even if they have the perfect solution, they're not likely to scale to solve that number of job shortages over <laughs> over a short period of time. So market competition can actually help to drive the value of not just our investment, but multiple others. So I see it as a good thing. That doesn't mean we might not seek to acquire that Rapid Ascent or us might not seek to acquire it. We could, but it's not a given. Gotcha. For your the way that you run your different funds, somebody listens to this, and I'm going to ask this a couple of different ways versus on different scenarios, is if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I was CEO of XYZ, I want to be an investor. How does that process work on the, the flip side of that? Is there like, hey, all right, man, it's a million dollar buy-in no matter how that functions, or is it a per deal? I'm just throwing out, obviously, yeah. I'm making up crap because yeah. I don't know. So I'm asking. Or it's or it's like, hey, I only I want to invest with you, but I only really want to do the government contracting service. I want nothing to do with rapid. How do you how does that function? How do you guys function, um, I should say? There's there's SEC rules around what I can and can't say publicly. I can talk sure. to, like you and I can meet and I can tell you all those details. We could jump on a phone call. Oh, okay. I can send them to you directly in an email, but I can't publicly disclose what we're doing with our funds until the fund is fully closed at the end of the fund cycle, which means you can't get into it. it it's fun how we can't market ourselves the way we would otherwise prefer to, right? I'd love to just go, oh yeah, these Inter- are the people I'm looking for and this is all the terms, but I, I unfortunately can't. Interesting. Yeah, there's... Um, hey, you could be Elon and just get on Twitter, man. <laughs> well, that would get me in trouble with the SEC, just like he's already in trouble. But but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, so the, here's the short answer um, that I can say. Yes, we're raising capital, but that's been said in a number of different forums. Yes, we have a fund that's open right now. I can't really go into the details, but suffice it to say, if you are an executive or I don't really want to talk about class, but I guess upper middle class, like if you've done well or really well, but if you've done well and you have some some money that you're looking to put into alternative market spaces, we could be a place to go. It's The buy-in isn't as high as what people think it would be. I can't talk about it. If you want to know, people reach out to me and I can have a direct conversation with you. But but we do have an entire investment disclosure package. So anyone who is a serious, you do have to be a, a qualified investor. So essentially, you, you have to have a, over a million dollars in assets. So you can go look up the terms. They're very clear out there. The SEC has them on their site. Oh, okay. um, so you do have to be you, you do have to be uh, that level of investor. It's a, a lot of middle class meet that definition though. So I'm talking around you, this job. Well, you, that, like you, <laughs> you you can probably no, that's fine. But you answered a question. I can't talk the details. Yeah, no, you actually you answered a question I'd heard more terms around real estate if you're familiar with Grant Cardone and yes. uh, Cardone Capital. Where he would talk about unqualified investors and qualified investors, and I've heard the term, but I've never taken well, the time to go what I, what does that mean outside of somebody vets that I'm a real person and not a bot on the internet. So let me actually <laughs> correct the statement. So for us, we, we we were considering qualified investor, but that's actually a higher level than what we ended up going with. 
you have to be an accredited investor. So an accredited, okay. so there's, I, I don't want to butcher the terms off the cuff here, especially as I was at a charity event until late last night. The, the I think it's an interesting answer then. I'll behave. The, <laughs> the accredited uh, investors are what we're looking for. Accredited or above is good with us. But accredited, again, go look up the terms. But essentially, it's over a million dollars in assets that you have, or you okay. have over a certain income, and it changed. So I don't remember off the top of my head. Again, I was... I'm, I'm going on very little sleep at the moment. Perfect time to come on a podcast and talk publicly. But yeah, so... Particularly with the grilling I'm giving you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're definitely, we're looking for accredited investors, which a lot of people out there do need. A lot don't, but qualified investors are, are another level up. And essentially, you have to be able to prove that you've had a... One, that your net worth is quite a bit higher than an accredited investor and that you've had experience directly getting involved in large um, deals, investment deals. And again, I encourage everyone to go look at the specifics and they're all over the internet, but you can certainly find them from the SEC site. Sure. I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I didn't realize a lot of that stuff, there wasn't just general public rules that or stuff that's out there that everybody had to apply to. It sounds like it's very customized to your specific structure. Is that, am I interpreting that correctly? Or parts of that, the stuff that you- It depends on, it depends on what kind of fund you set up, what kind of investment vehicle you set up. That's probably a better way to say it. Depends on the type okay. of okay. investment vehicle that you set up. And then it depends on, there's a bunch of factors and the SEC, obviously the rules exist for a reason, right? But these, the, if you're going to publicly market a security, meaning you're going to publicly market that you have a investment thing that anyone could come and invest in, an investment implement that anyone could come and invest in, you have to be, you as an investment firm and the partners in that firm have to be qualified at a higher level than other types of investment. Or you have to be specifically certified in working with people that may not be able may not be able to afford to lose the money so there's different funding investment funding vehicles that exist for a reason and it's to address the different types of investment investor profiles that exist there's obviously we've all heard stories about hopefully not recently but like way back when people investing their hard-earned like family savings and then losing it all in some investment scheme. So these rules exist in part to keep that stuff from happening. Joel and I as GPs, as general partners in the fund and partners in the firm, we're required to fall under SEC rules. We were required to pick a number of specific configurations of our fund. And when picking those, okay. that, that dictates which rules and which certifications and which requirements Joel and I as individuals and our firm have to fall under and then we have to live by those or we get in trouble so yeah but for the fund accredited investors got it got two more questions and to to wrap up do you have a like a, a number of like your maximum amount of companies or funds where you go hey we're tapped out on what we can handle right now does it yeah. function that way it it does and and that goes back a little bit to your investment thesis and how much capital you're raising. So I think privately what I'm raising, but again, if people want to know that, they can reach out to me and I'll be happy to, if you're a credit investor, I can talk to you about what we're up to. But within the ceiling of our in our fund or funds, within those ceilings, obviously we can only go so far as the ceiling, deploying ours and our investors' capital. So th that's one. But then it goes back to the investment thesis. Let's let's just say it's a ten million. There's a ten million dollar fund. That's not what I have. But let's say it's a ten million dollar fund. Obviously, you're going to only deploy ten million dollars or less. And so, the number of companies or how far you can stretch that all depends on your investment thesis, which is what is it that you're looking to invest in? How much are you looking to invest in these different companies? For we we have two profiles right now for our investment thesis that we're looking to invest in. Really, and, and there's some outliers for certain, like we're willing to talk. I've already said we're pretty open and wanna look at what's win-win for everyone, but but there's really two profiles we're looking for. Seed, maybe an early A startup company. And those, we're at our stage, we're looking right now, probably 500K to two and a half million is our investment um, amount into those companies. And it depends on the stage, uh, um, where they're at, our confidence level, and whether, quite frankly, whether there's other investors also 
um, investing in those early convertible notes. We've made investments today that are just under a million, one that's at a million, some that are higher than two. And so we're, we look for the right reason to invest over the specific amount and then apply the specific amount based on what we're trying to accomplish and what the, that company is trying to accomplish. So that's the early stage profile on the, the government contracting side. We're really looking for companies that are in probably getting up to the 25 million mark in revenue. And we do, we have done less, so we are open to talk, but it really depends on the specifics of what that, again, the market space they're playing in, right? So they're playing in the government contracting market space, but are they like, are they DHS market? Are they federal civilian agency markets? Are they working with just a couple of the military services, agencies, all those types of things matter, depending on how our network can help them and we help them exit. But with those, we're looking for companies that are in that 25 million revenue mark, probably 18 to 25 million is probably the, the general what we're looking for. And then with those, we're probably looking for one to three million, sometimes more invested into those. Again, all depending on those specific scenarios. And are they a single owner that has like the cap table, the capitalization table, the stock table is all one owner or are there a bunch of partners? How does that all play out? And that'll help to derive what our investment will look like. I'll wrap up with this. Somebody sees you out in the golf course, they know who you are. Brian, I got an idea <laughs> for a company. How do you respond? What's your idea? So this, I'm pretty open to conversations. I am busy because I'm managing a lot of things right now, but but I'm open to a conversation. I, I think you'll find a, a lot of people in, in these roles are, I'll very quickly tell someone like that, I mean, golf course or wherever, very quickly tell them whether it's like in the general profile of what I'm interested in or not. And because I do talk to a lot of other PE and VC firms on a like daily basis, at least lately it's a daily basis. I have a good idea on, on, on some of what, or a lot of what our partner firms are looking for. So I'll make a quick intro to some, to whoever the, the intake manager is, the inbox manager is for those firms to, to make an intro. And that's not to say I, I, I haven't had it happen, but I keep hearing about it. That there's some people out there that'll just keep pestering you and pestering you and pestering you. That's not cool, especially if I've already taken the time to respond to someone. But at the same time, I'm generally open to a conversation. Awesome. I really appreciate the time. This is super informative and seeing the flip side of the conversation, the investment company, the point of view versus yeah. everybody else that's always chasing money, what you're looking for. I think this will for I've been in that thing where I know tons of people that have tons of ideas and zero execution on some of that <laughs> stuff. So being able to say, hey, here's what you here's what I'm looking for. Maybe put somebody on a path that maybe have been sitting on the sidelines or even reach out. Yeah, so I appreciate the time for sure. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Anybody wants to reach out, what's the, yeah, what's the best way anybody wants to contact you? Probably the best way is you can go to, I'm sure John will have the the name up there for the spelling, yep. but riffianinvestments.com and, or reach out to info at riffianinvestments.com. I do believe on our website, we've got a, a contact form. Again, we're a little over a year old, so we're, we are still growing our communication with the industries that we serve and still growing our website and our presence and all those things as well. Obviously, we've already done quite a bit, but, but yeah, it's probably the easiest way. I'm out on LinkedIn. Send me a note. Awesome. I, I send me a note with a very, you know, like specific, hey, I want to talk about XYZ and I'm not a salesperson. And that's a better way to get me to respond. <laughs> and I will make sure all those links are going to be in the show notes. Again, Brian, appreciate the time. Absolutely, man. Appreciate having, having me on.